follow the yellow brick road all the way to Wonderland. <laughs> Mixing two, two stories there deliberately. The yellow brick road that leads you to Wonderland. So it goes, the mushroom will take you to Oz. It's just, uh, you know, updating the myths for a new generation. So how are you guys? <laughs> we are well, very well. How about yourself? I am wonderful. Wonderful indeed. Um, yeah, obviously the world is in um, absolute chaos and, and that's a, a lot of fun. But, um, you know, other than that, I'm good. I'm, you know, from where I come from, I've been expecting this, waiting for it. It's just been a matter of time for forever, inevitable. And uh, now we're here. So trying my best to enjoy the show. What is the it that you were referring to? Just so I, I know which which I guess- uh- a series of things it's like kind of a, a manufactured global collapse that will lead to the rise of a one world name it right and one world government one world um religion one world ideology is the end goal um it's not that black and white like you're never going to go from what we've got today to that one world government overnight in any capacity no matter what kind of force they try to try to pull there's always going to be you know 60 40 split between people who want to do it and who don't so um uh be a passage of time but that's kind of the end goal is to weed out the people who don't weed out that 40 percent of us and and uh, build the civilization moving forward with the 60 percent of um those who do like the idea I suppose. Don't get in the pods. No. Just... no. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about, um, <clears throat> there's that quote, uh, you know, it's about overcoming the Xbox and just, uh, there's a lot of new literature coming out about the addictive qualities of video games that we're just starting to catch up with now. And, like, you know, a lot of people have been warning about for a long time, but it's always been that excuse. Oh, no, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Well, it turns out it's a lot worse than a lot of other things that, you know, people are consuming, like in terms of like drugs and alcohol and, and, you know, the staples of addiction. Turns out that that, uh, that, that Xbox system, that PlayStation, that uh, whichever one you've got, computer gaming, has all of the same effects on your brain amplified. And the only reason that people don't notice is the withdrawal is different. The withdrawal presents as laziness and apathy and suggestibility and things of that nature that, you know, it's not quite as severe as withdrawal from heroin or, you know, a hangover from alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you have a generation of people who are now three or four generations of people who have grown up sort of steeped in all of this. Um, they don't know anything different. They don't have the reference points that we do, uh, which I am so, so thankful that I do. I'm so glad that I grew up in a relatively un-media-steeped um, uh, environment. I think we had like four to five channels on TV. I took in a lot of TV when I was growing up, but I don't feel like it was really fucking with my mind like the kind of media onslaught that kids are facing these days and then you have the 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 the, uh aspect of social media which of course we did not have um it's insane i can't imagine what it would be like i'm so glad that our kids are are not that way Um, they are of that generation but they are very sane and very well balanced our kids don't want to be on social media so well, one of them does. One of them is. Yeah, but one he's. Yeah, he's not obsessed with it. I would say. Yeah, yeah, I would say he is, but he's he keeps it very much in check. I I think one of the the 
fascinating aspects of this is how kind of the left woke movement and social media taking off kind of go hand in hand. And I think one of the reasons is because uh, in our era, we weren't fearful of taking risks or chances mm -hmm. because there was no, there, there were very few people who were actually doing any real degree of documentation when we went out to parties or clubs. Yeah, there were people who were taking pictures, but it was very few and far between. And I'm sure there's some bizarro pictures of me from 1984 somewhere in someone's I own a few yeah <laughs> somewhere. I'm certain of it but I think this kind of hesitation and this this risk aversion has come from this thing or this idea that if I do something now it could affect my career in 20 years and and that kind of an insight we didn't have necessarily. So people were making mistakes and making decisions without really thinking of the implications of those decisions, where now we've nerfed the world for kids to this degree where they don't want to get out in the sun because they're afraid of the sun or they're afraid of the climate or whatever, or afraid of, of some repercussion that could happen years from now. So I find that fascinating. Yeah, likewise. I think it's like the cancel culture, right? It's kind of put, it's put a fear into pretty much all of us in a certain way, right? And for younger kids, that's a that's a kind of boundary that you're not even supposed to have when you're a kid, right? If anyone's going to emplace that boundary, it should be your family, your parents, that type of person who says, you can't say shit like that, right? That kind of thing. Not the entirety of social media and the internet and all of that and then also um other another example of something similar would be the me too movement and um the way that that has also gone to nerf men because yeah. now a lot of men are terrified to you know approach a woman the wrong way they were already terrified to begin with of the rejection and now they're terrified of a rejection along with a consequence that is beyond their control so yeah there's a, a lot of layers to that one yeah. And then you have BLM and all of that stuff, the hyper racialization of everything, which makes different uh, races paranoid uh, to interact with each other in, in a way that might be misconstrued or taken out of context as racist or xenophobic or it's just it's so ridiculous. It's so fucking ridiculous. And it's funny because with the difference between the left and the right, like uh, BLM being an example, that kind of empowers the left to be violent and protest. And then meanwhile, if the right protests even just a little bit, they're extremists and yes. violent extremists on top of that, despite the fact that that's not even really there. Like you, we have the media staging film ops, which is two signs saying right wing extremists. It's like you paid those people to be there. You made okay. them the signs and there's nobody else around them because the actual people of that protest don't agree with those two people holding those signs but um the control of the narrative um now that we're into social media and everybody's got a cell phone we can record things ourselves it's almost like the spin needs to be even more absurd right even more um blatant if you will but it's what fascinates me is that people are still buying it as if that's not the case mm -hmm. well i think there's this this tyranny of the oppressed that's happening where we're now fighting for who is the most oppressed in the oppressed Olympics. And so social media is great for that because 
you can be just perpetually offended. You can just all day long, you can find reasons to be offended or hurt um, or made to feel as, as uncomfortable or in some way. And if you have, you know, 1% of the population that's controlling the narrative uh, for the other 99%, then you have a very skewed perspective of reality. So the assumption that all people are dot, 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 or all men are this way, or all women are this way, is very easy to get kind of caught in that eddy because that's really what we're being, um, the, the, the overarching narrative that we're being told is what this one small group is saying is reality. So then if you have no experience out in life and you can't really gut check any of that stuff, then you start to think, Oh, that is reality because, you know, Kanye told me so, or, you know, a car Kardashian car crashian told me so. <laughs> and so that has to be real, you know? Yeah, the uh, I'm sure you guys have probably caught wind of some of because the the NFL and the Taylor Swift connection mm -hmm. and the stuff that's going on there and the absolute hoopla. That's proof of yeah. what you're saying right there, right? Like it's like the the best example, and I feel like that's a lot of where we're at these days. Is all of these things that we've kind of known are right there in a very cartoonish form right in front of our face. And going back to when they put Trump in office the first time, I said like that was kind of what they were doing was like, oh, you guys want to see absurd? Well, let's make this man the president. That's absurd. Oh, that wasn't absurd enough for you. Well, then enter, you know, a man with dementia. And I don't know if you guys caught the latest one where he had his diaper hanging out while he's addressing the, the media, yeah. and, uh, you know, but it is absurd and it's meant to be right. It's meant to do that. And then the fighting between the left and the right, um, especially in the United States, Canada is following it, right? It's it's really quite funny. Um, I had said in a, a podcast I did around Christmas time how our next election is basically just going to be a parody of the United States election. That we've got mm -hmm. Trudeau, who is the Biden, and we've got Pierre as the, the Trump figure. And it's funny because now our media is actually saying that our media is calling Pierre Trump, right? And talking about that. We have a new hashtag up here, which is Maple Mega. Oh, wow. I love right? it. Yeah. And, and it's all the same thing. And now um, the, the NDP and the liberals are getting together. They, they got caught, but they were doing it in private to amend uh, voting legislation in the exact same way that did. So, you know, Trudeau is going to end up winning the next election by 81 million votes. I don't think we have 81 million people in Canada, but... <laughs> Does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> really, ultimately. Yeah, I think the the Taylor Swift thing is very fascinating because we live in the Midwest, so we are really kind of inundated with the reality of of the NFL and you know the Chiefs are now in the the uh Super Bowl and so there's all this kind of hullabaloo around that. Uh, and I think the thing that is so interesting about that spin of that narrative is that yesterday I read in the paper that 80% of people said they would vote for whomever Taylor Swift backed. Yeah. So that almost sounds like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of sounds like. It is. Like she's taking the highest bids, you know? So it's so strange that that's where we're at in terms of our 
our national politics that someone who, you know, albeit a talented uh, spin artist and a talented musician, someone who writes her own songs, allegedly, you know, God bless her. I'm glad she's doing what she's doing as long as she's not hurting anybody. Uh, but the fact that she could sway an election is pretty frightening. Yeah, there was some kind of messing with those numbers, too, where it was something like um, I think it was the last time they said that she created this huge influx of votes, but really it was only a small percentage on top of what was already there, but they counted the whole to make that illusion. Right. And then this time around they're, they're doing that again and using her in this way, because exactly for the reason you just pointed out, trying to get people to do whatever it is. And I, I don't think it's a real game of playing for the highest bidder, but I think it's intentionally meant to look like that as well, probably to, you know, potentially bait the Trump people into it and um yeah, and scare people into action because anyone who doesn't like taylor swift is going to be like well wh what league do i need to join to make sure that whoever she backs doesn't become the president and vice versa if you are pro taylor swift or you know one of her followers if you will so yeah and then i don't know like i, I remember at the time we had our election last in canada i was working in a long-term care facility part-time and uh, watched them stuffing ballots in front of people with dementia and alzheimer's right so uh, i'm sure that that's going on in the states as well and just the idea that any of it is fair to begin with is absurd yeah. and then you add on all of this then it's yeah i, I don't know if you guys have uh, heard about the bet between Roseanne Barr and Michael Malice as to whether or not there's going to be an election, they have a thousand dollar bet. No, I haven't. Yeah. yeah, they have a thousand dollar bet going because Roseanne says there's not going to be an election, and Michael Malice thinks that's insane, and um, so they they have a public bet going uh, about that. And you know, as we get closer and closer and closer, even Michael Malice has admitted it's starting to look like she might be right because there's a bunch of different reasons that they could let's say even election went on like we had the proceedings who's going to accept this right it doesn't really matter what happens who's going to accept it they barely accepted 2016 they barely barely accepted 2020 no one's going to accept this one and that's that's been the name of the game of all of it but it's just so interesting to watch it all play out especially as you're getting closer to crunch time yeah, I don't know. I've I've heard these things about the uh, illegal immigrants coming in and um, those votes being used as valid votes. And that would be the reason why uh, a Biden administration would win. Um, and I've also heard talks and rumors that um, Michelle Obama would be the candidate for the Big Democrats. And that she has said point blank that she does not want the job because she has seen what has happened to her husband. Uh, and I again, I think there's there's these gatekeepers, these old guard people that will just basically prop anyone up that will keep their agenda going so does it really matter who wins it doesn't, really. at this point but truly i think that it's important to cast it so that the pendulum keeps swinging back and forth because that's what keeps the machine turning uh it's almost what keeps the clockworks running uh 
because it never could we're never supposed to find balance it, this whole system is rigged to keep people at odds with one another or at least to give the facade uh that people are at odds with one another and bring out this just ridiculous idiocracy based um tribalism and that's exactly what trump and biden was all about biden would have never won against a, uh, anybody else except trump he could have ran as not trump just that would have been his name and he would have still i mean that would have made more sense because that's why i think the only reason people voted for him you know yeah, all oh, one million of them, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. but yeah, the case in point, uh, going back to uh, Bush's second term, that was when we started to see the left and right kind of switch sides because yes. they had to because things were getting stagnant. As you were saying, that pendulum needs to quit, keep swinging. But Iraq, the first time, like a and second time, I guess technically, um, was enough to stop that pendulum for a while where both sides were going, no, 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 <laughs> like, right? And so they're like, oh, okay, well, well, then we'll just do one of these. And then you'll, you don't know which way to start moving. And that creates the pendulum swinging again. And the, the power dynamic just switched, but the ideology also changed from side to side, other yeah. than the, the traditional stuff or what people call trad these days, which disgusts me. But like that's the, the traditional morals of, you know, North America uh, on that side, that stayed on the right, but everything else switched over to the left. All of a sudden the left wants war. All of a sudden the left wants everybody put into concentration camps and, and shot up with medical experiments and stuff like that so yeah it's exactly the reason you said to keep that pendulum swinging yes and it's been swinging far and wide this this last three to five years i mean ever since trump got into office i think is really when it somebody took it and just really <laughs> held it as high as they could and let it go and then that fucker just kept swinging wildly back and forth well i th i just feel like people have conspiracy exhaustion i just feel like we've come to the point this is the, even if this wasn't a a very clearly laid out plan, maybe the intended or unintended consequence has become in the past three years, four years, that there has been such a barrage of constant attack on uh, civil liberties and freedom of speech and justice and the th really the tenants and the thing that the this country was founded on has been so just inundated with bullshit that i think people have just gotten to this point where they are just so exhausted by all of it so it's almost like i don't give a fuck who wins the yeah. next election i don't care what the next disease or virus is i don't, can we just power down for a moment and just call it equal and just we don't do anything like why can't we just not do anything for a year i can't we just take a, a break <laughs> of this, we this can. yeah 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 but I, but i'm saying like as a whole like all the machines that are running right now do we all do we have to keep it all powering at all times can't we just kind of hit the pause button and say Okay, no social media for a year. No news. No, we don't need to be informed. Let's get out of the stock market. Well, Let's I'm, just stop. I'm basically uninformed. I mean, you're the one. You you kind of filter the world uh, to me in little tidbits and little bites. I know chunks. because I have this inbuilt neural link that has been with me since before I was born. Uh -huh. 
even if I don't know what's going on in the news, I know something's going on. Well, it's been interesting because of the whole pandemic bullshit, uh, how that's really upped the polarization as far as uh, one side being kind of lockstep with whatever the state and media is telling them, same same, same tentacles, same octopus, different tentacles, same octopus. Uh, and the kind of this attack of seems to be like a very organized attack on conspiracy, which has been just a, a, a kind of a, a reactionary term for questioning. So censorship, propaganda and censorship, different sides of the same coin, like propaganda has gone apeshit, like, and it's been highly successful. You can still see people wearing masks out in the street. They're still subject to the propaganda that happened fucking four years ago. Uh, and then you've got the onslaught of people who, you know, think that any sort of questioning whatsoever is, you might as, you know, just risky right-wing right. conspiracy. Because, because if you start there, if you start with that narrative, then you have to start examining all of these other narratives that you've bought into. Exactly. And you have to take a, a pause and say, wow, why did I vote for that person? That person is a total lunatic. Why did I get that shot? I didn't need that. Why, why did I get caught up? And, you know, as one of my teachers said, the ego would rather die than change. So if we are so entrenched with our egos and it's so necessary to be right, then there will be people who go to their deathbed gripping their chest, having heart attacks, saying, I still think I did the right thing. Yeah, the calcification of echo chambers. Yeah. yeah. And this is a process in terms of like demonizing conspiracy theories that I've been talking about for longer than most people know my name uh, because it's been what I saw coming and then QAnon being the kind of icing, icing on the cake that drove all of that home and actually did make it domestic terrorists leading to January 6th and everything else that we've seen since like even in our own media I was watching a video last night of uh, it was a pro-Palestine protester um, basically jumping on Justin Trudeau's car and trying to kick in his front window. And nobody said anything really about it. Right. Like it was really only the extreme right who was sharing it at all. The media had nothing to say. Why? Because they were a pro-Palestine protest. If they had been a pro-Israel Palestine, that would have been a pro protester story. That would have been everywhere because that's the way our media works. And it's it's just so obvious. But turning it into um, a crime, basically, to question, as you as you said, right, to, to have conspiracy theories to question. And then the other part of it, especially within the community we are in, is, um, you know, another thing I've been warning about is that something like this would happen that woke a bunch of people up and they would come into the conspiracy world. Mm -hmm. But then they would find all these rabbit holes and all these traps that have been being created over the time where we've been kind of playing over here on our own little sandbox. Mm -hmm. And then it'll that'll even scare them away right like and uh that fear will cause them to follow lockstep on the other side and then the other thing that they were really clever in doing was getting people in the media to demonize people who weren't taking the lollipop while that was going on because then that would cause you know the average everyday person to demonize people who weren't taking the lollipop call for their death say all these absurd things they thought they were right they thought they were right to say it and so they did and then when it turned out that they were wrong you can't come back from that you can't just be like i'm sorry i called for your death yeah right like you've you've taken a step too far so you have to 
continue on with that side. Otherwise, you're going to get thrown to the other side. And the other thing politically you're seeing is the people who fall out of favor with the left and then come to the right, the right ends up throwing them out too for various reasons or vice versa. And you can't really win on either side. So uh, yeah, it's uh, leading to this escalation of explosion that, that uh, you know, we've got the eclipse coming up in April. And if we make it that far, I don't think we're going to make it much further before we start to see that explosion start to take place. Yeah, I refuse to to categorize myself by left wing, right wing, any certainly any political affiliation, because I think it's a bunch of fucking baloney and theater. Um, and it's really doesn't do any doesn't cause any real change in the world. So I have uh, I'm apolitical for sure, uh, but I've tried to gather my information from places where it feels right, where it feels true, uh, no matter what, what, where that's coming from. And sometimes, you know, it'll just be the paragraph of something that a longer essay or something that somebody wrote, or, you know, like today, I just got done listening to, uh, what is it? God damn it. I'm, what's the book by Robin D'Angelo, right? White fragility. Yes. To just see, what I've heard that book referred to intensely for the last two years. So it's like, what the fuck is this all about? Now I know what it's all about. Uh, <laughs> I can't say that I gleaned any knowledge from that book, except knowing what people are pointing to now. Well, we um, have it if you want it. It's on the shelf. Oh yeah. You got it at the library, didn't you? Yeah. It's nuts. Insane. But so, yeah, I think the more that we can declassify ourselves and, and remain, uh, uh, malleable and open and free-flowing and fluidic as far as uh, how we align ourselves with reality, uh, I think the better off we are. Remain ambiguous. Imagine if people started acting on the left like they actually believe all the things that they say. The world would probably be a pretty good place. <laughs> you know? totally. yeah. Yeah. I just think it takes courage to stand up against tyranny and i think that what we saw in the past few years is that there's a lot more people who are fragile and who don't really and who are empaths or who are extremely sensitive people who don't have the energy necessarily to be courageous or don't feel that they do and so they just kind of keep quiet and you might get a private email saying, I agree with you, but they're not going to risk their career or risk being canceled themselves by standing up with someone else. And I think that's the thing that, that these bad actors have relied on is they've relied on other people's fragility and other people's lack of inner strength and use that against Integrity. each other. Yeah. Absolutely. Most people don't speak up because they're afraid to, because they don't want to, they don't want to stick out in their group, in their, in their uh, echo chamber. I can't remember, was it Huxley or the other one, the thought police? You know, the, we have the thought police in place and it's not an outside organization. It's a little voice in all of our heads. Yes. That is like, you know, controlling what we thought we were, we're going to say based on how badly will this hurt me to say it? And um, that that's thought police. And that, that's why that's so such a negative against us is because, okay. yeah, it's it's 
that type of courage that it requires to speak up when your life might be on the line is, um, you know, not something that we've had tested for many generations. So, yeah, um, uh, yeah here we I are. That's why uh, the pandemic was a great psyop because we saw how many agent Smiths could be employed in all of that. Like, you know, it wasn't just about like there being billboards and signs everywhere, like from obvious uh, authoritarian sources trying to get you to do something, although those were the case too. Uh, but it was mostly just your fellow citizens, the people that you lived in your town, lived down the street from you, who were doing the finger wagging and doing the shaming and doing the calling out. Uh, quite ingenious, quite ingenious. They just planted the seeds and fucking these farmers grew some crops with that. Crazy. Yeah. And then the in-betweeners, the order followers, are have been, you know, also exposed as a big problem. Um, what's that gentleman's name from InfoWars? Went to jail because of General, uh, Owen Shri Owen something. He just went to jail for a little while because of January 6th, and he was talking about the guards coming up to him and like, hey, I agree with you. Sorry, I'm just doing my job, right? Well, fuck those people. That's the way I feel about it, you know? Like, that's, you are a cowardly man. Quit yes. your job, right? Yeah. Quit your job. Exactly. I ran exactly. I ran security for a long time and it was one thing I would teach my guards or tell my guards and I lost a couple jobs because of this attitude, but I'm not going to enforce a law I don't respect and don't agree with. And I don't expect any of you to do that simply because you're standing in that spot. You are a human being, choose, right? If you don't think that it's just, don't do it. <laughs> it's simple. And yeah. if you're wrong, then it's better to be wrong about not acting on something like that, right? Than it would be to do something unjust and to have harmed in that sense. Agreed. Well, I think the the fear narrative is so powerful because what it's really about is about having things taken away from you. So it's an important it's a really a crucial aspect and element to create any type of a movement is you have to create some sense of a lack. So you, what these past few years could have been is a testing ground to see, okay, how many people will comply? We know that there's this group that will comply. How many people are fence riders who may, may or may not comply. And then who are the outliers? Who are the people who, no matter what, they're just not going to go along? And now that I think they have those numbers, it's really just doing the statistical analysis. It's easy to see, okay, so in this area, we could totally take this country over. We could totally take this region over because people are pretty uh, compliant and they're, 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 they're older, they're just of a generation where you just kind of go along with what the the uh, official story is. I think that what's going on in Texas is so interesting because you see all these states, and if you look at the map of the states who are standing with Texas, all these very freedom-loving, gun-toting, you know, pioneer spirit states that are saying there's a problem and we're willing to stand with you to try to solve this problem. So I find that interesting. Again, it's like, I'm always looking at the layers, like what are the reasons here? Okay. This depop, this is not the way to depop. You want to depopulate this. You could do that with a teaspoon of uranium <laughs> in the water table. <laughs> it's not about depopulation. 
This is about moving energy and seeing which way you can flow this energy and 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 how powerful that energy is. A big part of what they're trying to achieve is to knock the United States down as a superpower to try and make it so that everything seems a little bit more even. They don't like this idea of having that up there and what a better way to do that than weaken the country. So let's maybe shift the focus into the conditions that had to be created in order to make all of this possible. The dumbing down of people like we've been talking about for years, right, through the education system, the introduction of sugars and corn syrups and, um, you know, and in, in enriched wheat products and a lot of other things that are really just making people unhealthy and then you know feeding them one of the things i always say is they convinced us that perception is reality and then they gave us all the tools to make it true so we can actually you know shape our reality based on whatever perceptions we prefer if i don't want to interact with someone there's a block button right we, we didn't have a block button when we were going to school and we were around people right you'd have to actually learn how to deal with your problems but they don't have to do that anymore so um you know in a, in a more you know uh, conspiracy land of where our genetics coming from perhaps ets everyone talks about the big bad draco all the time and i'm thinking that there's this quality that we we need from them right now and it's in there in our genetics that we're not really using and that has to do with standing the fuck up for yourself and yes. having courage and um you know p choosing a hill and dying on it and um you know that's the part that's been bred out of us in so many ways and you know obviously the attack vector to make that happen has to be men because men are the ones who fight the wars physically right so mm -hmm. that first step of emasculating men or like feminizing men and and all of that stuff i know hunter that's something that you do a lot of looking into and it's fascinated me um part of what sparked this conversation is i did a whole month just talking about male female dynamics and relationships and then bumped into you with randy there and you you mentioned something very much of the same but even that plays into it of this like sexual playground that they've created for people these days that is a complete illusion, like pushing polyamory on one side and then like, you know, um, virtual girlfriends on the other side and, you know, the Tinder component in the middle of it. And it's just this recipe where once again, they're giving we, us what we think we want, but it's not really what we need. And it ends up working against us in a hurry. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I was expecting you to to chime in on that. Um and now I've completely lost my thought. No, I, I was going to I was gonna practice and rehearse while you were no, I think something. I think there's I think you make a salient point. I think there's definitely there's you know, lots of different versions of coupling or uncoupling that have been experimented with for hundreds of years, probably as long as humans have been around, they've been uh, trying different iterations and different versions. And I think some versions work better for men, some versions work better for women, some versions work better for children. And I think where we're at right now is we're doing things that are right for the ego the amorphous ego, but it's not what's best for women. It's not what's best for men. It's certainly not what's best for children. And so this kind of destruction of the family and the parent group, what that's caused, and I, I'm seeing it in university. It's so fascinating to see this, is this blame game that's happening of like, 
whose fault is it when a, a kid graduates college and they don't have any of the skills they need to go out and actually do a job? These employers are saying, well, it's the university skills are a problem because they're not teaching these skills. The uh, job uh, market is being attacked by universities who are saying, well, it's actually the job market's place because they're the ones who are supposed to teach these very specific skills when someone gets in gets a job and I think what if you really kind of look down into drill down into this what it's really more about is parenting and where we have failed is this idea that a woman can have it all she can have children she can have a career she can have a perfect body she can be ageless she can be pristine in her life have be happy have everything she wants and she doesn't need a man to do it so we've sold this fantasy to women and so women are miserable because they're trying to live up to that reality men have kind of lost their rudderless have kind of lost their way because there's like what you wait you don't need me anymore so what what what's the use of being in a relationship? So people aren't going into these next steps of having children, getting married, you know, doing these basic life steps that for many generations we've been doing. And the replacement is certainly not making anybody happy. That's what I find so fascinating is that you don't see a lot of super joyful transsexual people walking around the streets that are so happy they're so happy they don't have to tell you they're transsexual <laughs> you know that's what I'm waiting for that day where I see someone who is so um invested in who they are and and is so embodies the joy of humanity but does not have to lead with their sexuality or their gender when we were at the Chloe Cole speaking thing at KU a few weeks ago, there was one dude on that, mm -hmm. the guy hanging out, handing out the pamphlets. Like yeah. he was the nice, sweet guy, but all the rest of them seem very hateful, very reactive, very emotional, uh, yeah. and just wanted to, obviously we're not there for a conversation, but to shout down who the person was speaking. Uh, yeah, ridiculous. But going back to what you were saying about, uh, personal integrity. I think that's so, so bloody important right now. And something that's so easy to lose sight of when we seem, I, I'm not necessarily including myself in this, but our society seems focused and almost obsessed with categorizing and grouping people into groups, whether it be by their skin color, whether it be by their gender, whether it be by their lack of gender, whatever the fuck you get white fragility when that's, what they're talking about, anybody can show that. You put anybody in that same circumstance, of course they're going to act a little, you know, a little, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Agitated and defensive and stuff like that. Toxic masculinity, like that's, they're, every, anybody is is capable of acting toxic, you know? Why, why, are, we, why are we tagging that onto masculinity? Um, so, it takes the onus off of the individual to go, you know what? I'm not any of these things. I'm not, I may be white. I may be male. I may be this, that, or the other, but that doesn't define me. My insides are much more important than any kind of arbitrary physical attribute that I have. And I think 
that's that's become the focus now is just these little like the star belly sneeches of the Dr. Seuss book, right. you know, like can define you, but it's not the only thing that defines you. It may be the most unimpressive thing to define it can, you. It would, it's probably the least compelling thing about you, but I think this idea of, of gender erasure or um, ethnic erasure or colorblindness, I think these are very dangerous um, concepts because I think that's the thing that this post-human movement is really kind of moving towards or wants to move toward is that we are nothing. We aren't female. We aren't male. We aren't what our culture is. We aren't what our family lineage is. None of that stuff matters. It's just, we're all these kind of amorphous energies that blob and, and glom onto each other and then separate. So I think it's okay to say that you're a white man and to be a white man. I, I get so um, agitated when I hear this kind of semi-apology, not from you, but from anyone who's like, well, I like almost like I feel bad that I'm this. It's like, well, fuck that. That's that. That's the overcorrection of this dialogue. It's like you shouldn't not be okay to be english or irish or <laughs> scottish if that's your heritage i think the blurring of lines all leads down to if there are no lines then there is no right and wrong there is no good and evil anymore and people can just do whatever they want the government first and the the, the peasants next right i was um looking at this thing where they were following people who study critical race theory around white people who push it Right. And then they were following them and listening to the way that they speak to black people and how they actually start dumbing down their language and they start talking slower and they start treating them as if they are inferior all the while. Yeah. The opposite. Right. And that's what I mean when I say if the left actually acted like they believed all the things that they say, the world would probably be a pretty good place, but they don't. And they really just say that. And we've we've watched it like I, I have uh, trans kids and I've I've watched it with that community where it was like, we want this. OK, now that we've got it, we want it to go back the way that it was, but we want to be in control now. Mm -hmm. right? And that's exactly what it is. It's not like we're going to erase the way that things were. We don't really want to change the world. We just want someone else in charge of it. <laughs> that's that's really yeah. what it comes yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I meant it like we should all become one big amorphous blob and not define ourselves in any way whatsoever, but more focusing on our similarities as opposed to our differences. Yeah. Most of those differences not really mattering uh, when we focus on our similarities. We're humans. Uh, it's okay to be a transhuman or a, well, a trans, you know what I mean? <laughs> not a transhumanist and transhumanist, <laughs> uh, a whatever. It doesn't matter. I think to lead with those attributes, I think does doesn't do justice to the individual. Doesn't right. do justice. To but them. it's not as it's not a microaggression or an aggression to be in a cab in New York and ask the cab driver where he's from. Yeah. And now right. that's considered a form of aggression. That that is toxic to to share some type of a dialogue with someone that's about their culture is considered an act of aggression. And what I find so interesting about that is that 
some of the best conversations with strangers I ever had in New York was with a cab driver saying, oh, where are you from? And them saying Nigeria, Cambodia, uh, Russia, you know, and then tell me about the food. I would, I would always start with this. Tell me about your food. What do you guys eat there? Oh, it must be really beautiful there. Tell me about you, the village you, you come from. And seeing someone from another part of the world be able to share their experience of their world and see the look that changes in their eyes and how their energy changes talking about where they're from. Why would you want to take that away from somebody? It just doesn't make sense. It's like, we should be celebrating people. Well, the counter argument comes from the kids of those people who, you know, like the Somali guy who grew up here and maybe he doesn't like, you know, why he's driving his Uber all during the day, having to answer the question, where are you from with the answer here? Right. Like, and I can understand it from yeah. that, but the people oh. who actually aren't from here, they actually do enjoy that question yeah. for the same reason we're enjoying asking it, which is just, what is that? Humanity. We want to actually know about our neighbors. We want to actually know about each other. That is a microaggression now. But if yeah. you assume everything, because we've categorized everything for you, this is what a black person is. This is how they think. This is how what they do. Then, then you're okay. That that's it's completely paradoxical or oxymoronic and backwards. It makes no sense. But that's the entire ideology on that side. And you know, yeah. I can remember when my my oldest came out. I I said right from the beginning. I'm like, I respect this thing up until the queue. And then when the queue hits, everything's going to be downhill from there. And it was only a few months after they, that they added the queue and everything has gone hill since downhill since then. And yeah, it's that slippery slope that everyone warns about. Um, but nobody wants to hear because they have the destination in mind of like what it could look like if everything went perfect. But unfortunately in application, Nothing like that ever goes perfectly. There's always going to be problems. And if you don't account for those problems ahead of time, and then while you're actually going through it, you deny their problems and fight against the people who are pointing out the problems, then you're not really achieving anything, which is exactly what pretty much all of those movies or movements are doing for themselves, right? Um, like my own sister is like, I don't go to Pride anymore because it's disgusting now. You know, and she's, she's been, she's older than me and she's been a lesbian or out as a lesbian, I meant to say, since she was like 13 or 14, right? So it's been her entire life now and everything's been fine. And now things are difficult for her for being gay. And she's like, it wasn't when I was a kid, it is now. And, and that's what they've achieved through all of this. Yeah, it seems like more of an aggression not to want to know about someone that seems more aggressive that seems more nihilistic and more self-serving just to kind of sit in my own bubble than to actually try to have some exchange and for me that exchange is not trying to find a similarity because i don't think i necessarily have something similar like a similar story to someone that's come from a completely different background than i do i'm more interested in celebrating that difference and understanding that difference, because I think that that's the gap bridging that needs to happen. So for me, when I'm having these dialogues about uh, people who are transitioning or people who have gender dysphoria or, or incels or people who have relationships with dolls, I'm not looking at that person and thinking, oh, that's just like me. What I'm trying to do is understand 
what has the steps that it has taken in this person's life for them to get where they're at. I'm just morbidly curious about people. So when I'm asking those questions, it's not out of an aggression. It's more out of a genuine curiosity to find out who that person is as a human. It's not really to reflect me. I know who I am. I want to know who you are. So I think that's the the thing that's missing is that, you know, some people who are very evangelically on the right, like, I don't want you to bring this into my church or into my kids and infect my kids' minds with this. I totally get that. I don't think that we should be indoctrinating children, but I also don't think we should be isolating people. So if someone has some belief system that's different from mine, Maybe I want to have that person over to my house for dinner with my kids so that we can all talk, but it doesn't mean that I'm co-signing that my kid becomes that thing because I'm introducing that energy into my space. I think what we're trying to teach the kids is discernment. Like, how do you engage with someone who's different from you without seeing, seeming like you're living in some hierarchy, like you're better than somebody else. Well, just like we're hardwired to see the negative more um, acutely than the positive, it's the same thing with differences in other people. And that's where identifying the ways that we are all the same would become really important because if we had that sameness as the foundation, the differences then are not scary, they're exciting, they're yeah. um enticing uh, i'm looking for another word that i can't find but you know it's, it, it's inviting you to find out about that as opposed to being afraid of it right whereas if you understand that you guys have like this fundamental sameness then those differences are actually attractive than than not right it's like if you've, everyone wore the same uniform the one girl who like let her shoulder hang out that one day would get noticed right and and that's why <laughs> We look at differences as negatives now because in our history, they have been a negative. They've been a problem. If you have a completely different color of people come walking into your village, you're probably in for a fight and therefore that's a bad thing. In today's society, that's no longer true. And so we can start to recondition ourselves to that. And that's where identifying that we're all human at the end of the day. Culture has played a big part. Nature, nurture, all of those things that we know has played. We've, we were all babies and we all grew into whatever we are now. And, um, you know, the difference between you and the difference between me is interesting as opposed to, ah, you like that music? That scares me. We, nobody does that. They might be like, oh, well, show me some of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I lament uh the the climate that is being pushed today that lack of adventurous that adventurousness adventurousness doesn't sound right for some reason adventurousness um uh the how we are not encouraged to poke and prod and not in a not in a mean way but in a like what's going on here like what's what's you know who are you like you were saying uh and question and um just test the waters uh, in a way like when we were when I was a kid during the summer uh, I would in the uh, I would leave the house uh, in the morning I would come back for lunch and I would leave again and come back for supper and my I don't even think my mom would ever ask where I was and we were just running around rampant in 
the neighborhood or the construction site that was near our house. And that was great. And now if your kid is seen outside of your house and it doesn't seem like there's any parent or guardian near, then you could get busted for that. You could get arrested for that. And that's, that is like, that's a, that's a very emblematic situation that sort of sums up where a lot of people are at. If they had a childhood like that and they think the world is something to fear, Jesus Christ, like that's horrible. That's awful to snuff that curiosity. That's, that's, that's ingenious, whoever thought of doing that, because that really changed the whole trajectory of, of several generations. I'm glad that I'm not one of them. Yeah, I, I think it goes back to helicopter parenting, goes back to social media. Because, again, you have someone, you have parents who are protecting you or trying to insulate you, which teaches you that the world is a fearful place that you need to be protected and insulated from. So it's going to be much easier for you to live a fantasy world online or in a video game yeah. than it is to actually go out and really test your metal and see what you're made of. Yeah. And even just like, you know, if you've got helicopter parents, let's say, and then you get to go online, you're going to act out of your character simply because you don't have the opportunity to act within your character under your normal circumstances. I had a friend who was like that. Um, I met him because he was a troll on a forum back in like the early internet days when forums were a big thing, like a parachat type thing. And he would just come in and just troll people for no reason, like just be vile and disgusting and just ridiculous. And, um, you know, over time, he ended up messaging me and I, I actually met him in person got to know him he's a very sweet guy but he's muslim and he has a very strict family and they all live in this tiny little house and there's like nine of them and he doesn't ever get to express any negative emotions ever so he takes it all out being a troll on the internet right and you don't think that there's probably hundreds of thousands of people like him out there doing exactly that every day there are right mm -hmm. uh yeah it's it's even the, the dynamics between, uh, like, I, I'm a male, so I can only speak on the male side. Like, if my friends didn't make fun of me, I probably never would have improved. <laughs> you know, if if I didn't get, um, you know, not necessarily bullied, but if I didn't, like, get slapped in the mouth for mouthing off to some kid at school I shouldn't have mouthed off to, I'd probably mouth off to everybody, right? There was a certain amount of, let's call it self-policing or, like, uh, uh, you know, if policing between ourselves like a like a duel back in the day or like an agreement between two individuals that there's a line that neither one of us want to cross if one of us pushes it one of us crosses it there's a penalty for that you've paid the penalty let's move on but even that's been removed like i was still in um school when they started making zero tolerance policies mm -hmm. and like so it was literally one of those situations which is now in our legal system where it doesn't matter how many times they hit you if you hit them back you're going to jail Right. Um, the Daniel Penny doesn't matter that he was running around with a knife threatening to kill people. You choked him. He died. You're going to jail. Right. And and that's exactly it. You're not even legally allowed to defend yourself anymore. All right. I, I remember as a kid seeing that between men and women. Very young. My parents are having a fight. My mom goes running at my dad. My dad goes like this. She hits his arms, falls down, bruises her tailbone. The police are there. He's going to jail. Just like that. Right. Like no questioning, no real even dialogue, just 
she was hurt crying called the police the police took him away but now <laughs> it would be you know he could probably get away with smashing her around a few times and then they would probably try and remove both of them if anything or they just tell them to work it out so yeah they've not only you know put the fear of the world into us but they've also taken like nerfed us so that we can't do anything to defend ourselves Fun. Fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's an interesting time to live in. Um, I, I in many ways I feel I I don't I mean I don't feel taken down by it. I feel like it's making me more robust and make me making me more um, resilient. Uh, but I know that that is not the effect that it has on a lot of people. A lot of people are taken down by it, or they're they're um, succumbing to the fear and succumbing to all of this propaganda that's coming at them from every side and uh they aren't faring so well um but hopefully that pendulum will find some balance i don't know if that's going to happen in our lifetimes but um i think it it we can't expect a big pendulum to find a balance but we can find that balance in ourselves so I mean, really that's what it all boils down to is how we navigate the world doesn't matter what cards we're dealt doesn't matter what our circumstances are we can usually find some way to change it and transmute it into something that uh is positive or at the very least um um keeps the negativity from uh getting the best of us i i don't know of any other way to articulate it just i don't know i think that that the fear uh, train is so powerful that you just have to kind of step off of it every so often because I I think right now because I kind of go into like an energy place of like okay what does my energy feel about what's going on right now in this year and so many people are saying I'm very afraid and this is a very scary time and this election and alien invasions and and all of these different narratives, another disease or another virus, it, all, you know, it's just fear, fear, fear. And when I, I kind of take a step left or right away from that, and I'm just kind of sit with myself, I, I think, who is benefiting from me being afraid? Who gets the, mo the most, the maximum use of my energy for uh, my fear whatever degree of fear that i live with archons and if that's the person i'm willing to dance with if that's the energy that i need to sustain myself to propel me forward then uh that may be useful for me but right now it just doesn't feel that way it doesn't really seem to be serving me to be freaked out and I'm so, it's so fascinating that I'm hearing so many more people kind of using this, this binary, this bifurcated left, right, uh, ideology. I'm seeing more, way more people on the left that are saying that now. I'm so afraid that Trump is going to get reelected. I'm so afraid that dot, dot, dot is going to have, this is going to have that another disease and whatever. So I look at those people and I'm thinking, are you happy? <laughs> because some people are very happy being freaked out. I have 
people that I, I work in different environments with and they just have the laundry list of the things that they're afraid of. They're afraid of homeless people. They're afraid of traffic. They're afraid of weather. They're afraid of uh, uh, rain. They're afraid of the ice and the streets. The, and it's just a constant dialogue of that being spewed. You know, the the list of celebrities who are now claiming they're going to move out of the country oh my God. if he gets elected. I'm like, can I help you pack? <laughs> Please, can I help you? Didn't they all say that the last time, the first time? But Like several times. Now Cher has said it. Cher's uh, been saying that bullshit. You know, just it's on and on and on. Barbara Streisand has said she's leaving the country if he wins. So, so again, it's like, what are these things serving me? And how is this making the world a better place? If, let's say, the stock market gets shut down. Let's say the grid goes down. Let's say the internet goes down. What are we doing in our community, in our own home? How are we elevating the energy in the space that we inhabit to make that better? It's not going to be going and, and knocking on city hall's door and saying, we ain't got no power. How are you going to help us? <laughs> That's not going to fix it. So I think understanding that, understanding that your state is really more important than the environment around you and really focusing on your own state. I think that's the thing we all need to kind of shift our awareness to. Amen. Yep. And then there's another phrase, I think it's uh, usually used in political climates, but it's about touching grass, which is the idea of like coming down out of your kind of echo chamber or your bubble or whatever, where you're usually the, the people you're usually around all of that and getting a different look right? Going out and talking to some people in the community or listening to over, you just listen to some com conversations at a coffee shop and then the, literally go out and touch grass on top of that, right? That'll resonate with our community as an example. But the idea is just to be able to take pause, right? And I said it recently, like even God rested on the seventh day, right? Where so like there's a, there's a message in that, that you can't go 100% all the time that way, especially if it's in this particular realm and you're very correct. And I think it's a, it's a bigger epidemic than people even realize because we think that people get addicted to good feelings. But if you've ever done any of the drugs that people get really addicted to, most of the feelings associated aren't really good. And they're just as addicted to that death that comes along with their drug as they are to the high that they got off the top. And unfortunately that's true for fear as well. There are a lot of people out there who are very addicted to that fear drip. And when it's not there, they don't know what to do and they'll create it if they have to. And it's, it's unfortunate, but remembering to kind of come down from all of that every once in a while, going out and touching grass, talk to someone outside of it, right? Get a different look, have a conversation. That's not about all of these things, right? Throw on a sitcom mindlessly, you know, unplug from it for a while, whatever you need to do, whatever works for you, just to quite literally unplug from it, because we're going to have to be able to keep our wits about us and our energy up because everything we've been talking about coming is happening now. And why were, what was our mission that we spoke so, so uh, poetically about leading up to now was to be, you know, an anchor for people to be support for people that we can't do if we don't have that balance within ourselves. So if you have to take the time each week to unplug from it and balance yourself, do that. Oh my God. Yeah. And also managing expectations. 
I think we we have such a um, add water, instant gratification mindset as Westerners that we really feel like, well, this is what I've decided and now it should be this way now. And so the idea of actually working for something or meditating on something and really kind of taking the time to allow something to develop, I think that's an art that really needs to be cultivated. And we need to focus more on that than uh, this, you know, five second shots and clips that we're given in videos or in uh, movies that, that kind of overwhelm our brains and, you know, being in this constant dopamine uh, place where dopamine is not really about satisfying the urge. It's about the anticipation of that satisfaction. So if your life is always on this edge of always anticipating the next stimuli, then you're doing such a disservice to your adrenal glands, to your energy, to your body, that I think we're it just perpetuates that state of fear because the anxiety energy has been so ramped up that we're just living in that this kind kind of constant buzz as opposed to just being kind of peaceful and letting yourself rest a little bit. And it is so salient what you said about going outside and touching grass because the what the world is showing me on social media is maybe one millionth of a percent of what reality truly is. But if I perceive that as reality, when I go outside, the way I engage with the world is going to be different than if I had never seen any of that stuff. And I didn't think any of those things were happening. So I don't think there's a civil war happening. This is an agenda that's being pushed here in our country that we're going to have a civil war that, you know, the 3 million people who have come across the border illegally now matching, merging with the 11 million that are already here, that somehow that there's going to be some massive uprising. Now, what does that serve me again to get totally freaked out about this and upset and scared and rape and pillage and the world's going to blow up? And I just, sometimes I just say, well, okay, let's table that and let's re uh let's come back to this tomorrow and see if any of those things happened and if they didn't okay well let's table it and let's go another day and see if any of those things have happened but i'm preparing mentally i'm like uh, you know i have i'm sturdy i could probably go three months without eating i'd be okay like i could make it drink my own pee i'm down you know whatever i should probably start practicing now though not right now but (laughs) in general on air (laughs) i think it should be live on air for sure i mean you don't have to (laughs) we we get blurred out or whatever but (laughs) one woman one cup i just just, like bring a cup out of nowhere (laughs) i just bring been working for David Wilcock for a long time, apparently. So I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like, you know, I agree with you. And one thing about, you know, the Civil War is whether or not it's inevitable doesn't change the fact that there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and um, there's not a lot you can do to prepare for something like that. That's mm-hmm. the one thing that people don't quite understand is, especially with a Civil War, 
it would be different than a war happening in your country, you know, like, uh, like say you were in Afghanistan and, you know, yeah. attacked you. That's, that's a different thing than, you know, neighbors turning on neighbors because there is no prepared preparing for that you have no yeah. idea where the borders are going to be there's no clear-cut ice versus them right and um it's yeah. all going to be online though oh don't it's you know it's going to be on fucking line there won't be no you won't see your your neighbor will just have blocked you on instagram you just won't realize <laughs> that would be the joke that it can't happen simply because nobody's going to go outside for it exactly. watch it from their living room and be like oh yeah get him but it's like exactly you know, there's like three people that are actually fighting because they're, everyone... they're just angry yeah. tweeting that's all it is but the media will make it seem much more intense oh exactly they'll just yeah. they'll deploy weta like from lord of the rings and blow yes. it up so it looks like there's you know yeah absolutely <laughs> why not <laughs> I should probably let you guys go. But before we do that, why don't you tell them where you can find a little bit about your podcast and where they can find you guys. You can find us at themeltpodcast.net and you can get to most uh, most avenues of uh, where where we are active on the internet from that website. Uh, We are on Discord, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Telegram, Telegram, um, Rumble, Yes. Carrier Patreon, pigeon. locals, carrier pigeon. Um, yeah. So just about everything melt wise, melt centric, you can find there in the meltiverse. You can usually find me wandering through the woods somewhere. Aimlessly. <laughs> <laughs> are these the metaphorical woods or are the or the real? No, legit. The okay. real. real. So when you say that you're going on a three-hour walk, you're really just going on a three-hour wander. I usually go into the woods and ramble. just walk in a circle for three hours and come home. <laughs> That's what I call wandering. It's it's not exactly. quite aimless because your yeah. your your aim is to wander. So exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thanks for having us on, Shane. Yes. It was fun. Definitely good to, good to catch up with you guys, and uh, we'll say bye to everybody at home. Yes. yes. Farewell.